You're listening to audio from Calvary Gravenhurst in Muskoka, Ontario. For more resources or to connect with someone in the church, please visit calvarygravenhurst.com. This week's sermon is taught by lead pastor Benjamin Emery. Good morning, everyone. My name is Pastor Benjamin. For those of you joining us for the first time, before I get into the sermon, I want to bring a special missions moment to you, a special update about a situation going on in Myanmar, which we might know as Burma. For those of you that uh, have heard, I've been updating you and asked you to watch a documentary about six months ago about the Free Burma Rangers, a mission organization that... um, is out of Burma, and they operate in Iraq and Sudan and several other places. Uh, for those of you that might be following the news lately, you'd know that, um, that Myanmar has been uh, thrown back into um, chaos. Uh, the military, which had allowed uh, for democracy to happen and for a president to be elected, uh, a couple of years ago they um, arrested that president uh, for no good reason a couple of months ago and essentially started uh, taking over again and they have uh, been persecuting and hurting people. We have a little quick little news update uh, for you and then I'll get into what um, I'm asking of Calvary. So that uh, is just a scene of what is happening and has been happening in Burma Uh, and the Free Burma Rangers have said that there are an estimated 300,000 people that have uh, uh, become refugees have had to flee into the jungle away from their already um, very hard existence. And out of those 300,000, there are an estimated uh, 20,000 Christians that are now hiding in the jungle with uh, no food. Now, if you watch the documentary, you'd know that the Free Burma Rangers have... uh, 20-something outposts throughout Burma to which they bring medical aid, monitor and record uh, what the military is doing and feed and help the people. And they do this at the risk of their own lives. Now they have said in order to uh, feed these people that are hiding in the jungles, these families, and I can just imagine if my family had to flee and you guys all, we all had to flee into Algonquin to survive uh, from a crackdown from the government, we would desperately want somebody to help us. We'd have no ability to take care of ourselves. And so uh, they have asked to raise uh, $750,000 in order to feed these people for uh, three months. And that's all rice. They're going to use it to buy rice. And so uh, you can uh, go to their website and you can uh, check out that uh, for yourself. But we are hoping from Calvary to respond, Uh, just as if we were in that situation, and you never know, someday we may be in a great need like that. We would want brothers and sisters uh, who had the abilities to help us, to help our children, our grandchildren. And so we are asking, uh, and we are going to look to raise $5,000 in order to send to them, just from Calvary. And now it's a bit tricky uh, because it's not a Canadian uh, charity, so therefore we can't, through the church, give directly to it. That means that if you donate uh, through the church uh, to it, uh, that you won't get a charitable tax receipt. So we're recommending you do one of two things, and we're hoping you will. Uh, One, you can either go to their website, uh, which the instructions um, are laid out, and 
make a direct donation to them and just send us an email, uh, send the office an email to let us know how much uh, you have donated because we'd like to keep track to hopefully hit that 5,000. If you don't want to do it directly through the website, if it's a little too confusing for you, then uh, one of our elders, Len Veach, has uh, offered to be uh, the in-between person. So he's not paid staff and will no, in no way take any of this. So you can uh, do an e-transfer uh, to uh, Len Veach. Uh, the information, his information will be in the uh, email, the weekly update. Or you can mail a check uh, to the church with Len Veach's name. And once we've collected that, we are just going to send it all uh, to the organization. I'm really hoping uh, that we as the church, just a little church here in Canada, can help save some people's lives and, and just glorify God through it. Let's just take a moment and pray. Lord, we lift up uh, all the brothers and sisters um, all over the world who are suffering right now. And it's easy to just say, oh, that's a horrible thing and not do anything about it. But you have asked and, and, and you show us in your word that uh, the church is to look after the church, that you will provide... Uh, for the church, and you have provided so much to us. And so we want to help uh, these brothers and sisters. We want to help people who don't know you so that they can look and say, wow, these people genuinely care and they can come to faith in you. They can see that a God lives through uh, the Free Burma Rangers, that they're risking their lives to help these people, and that these people they don't even know from a uh, distant country uh, far off are sending their money to help keep them alive. So Lord, Help us to do that and help us uh, as we study your word, uh, as we study your interactions with uh, an outcast woman, uh, just what it is, uh, your desire for us to share the gospel and how do we do that, Lord. So give us courage. We need courage in these days, Lord, to overcome our fears. Um, We need uh, clarity of mind to be able to tell people about you and we uh, we need to go and do it. So help us to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Some, you know, sometimes I I get common questions from people. Sometimes I think about these things myself. Uh, some of those might be like, "When's it all going to end?" And and we're going to look at that in a few weeks when we hopefully back together in person. When's the world going to end? Like, when is the end point that God is going to say enough is enough? Uh, and so another question is, "When's the church's job going to be over?" Like, is the church just supposed to? exist uh, forever or does it have a mission that once it reaches a certain point its job will be finished Uh, you know why why doesn't god just come back and end things like why does he keep it going and those are all good questions and until all the those questions until all more questions like why is the world the way it is and, and how do we see real change in our community like all of those questions all of the problems we see plaguing society there is a two word answer to those questions and the answer is the gospel. The gospel. The gospel is the answer. Uh, when will the world end? Uh, when will the mission of the church be over? Matthew 24, verse 14. This good news, Jesus says, of the kingdom must be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. 
What is the mechanism to which we can see real change in people's lives, which will then reflect in a community, and the community would change, and then will reflect in a nation, and the nation will be changed? It's through the gospel, the message of Christ. What message, you might say? Well, the message that God came to this earth as a man, to give himself as a sacrifice for us so that we can be forgiven and and released from the consequences of sin both in this present world which we see and in the eternity to come. That we can actually know God. This is the good news that we can be embracing God in a relationship where he comes to live inside of us. This is the good news of the gospel. And so to seniors that I hear sometimes say, I don't feel like I have a purpose in life. You have a purpose in life. It's to share the gospel. To middle-aged people who are in the the prime of life and they're so busy with everything and and they just say, I just don't know how I can serve God. You can serve God by sharing the gospel. To to youth who, who look at the colossal mess of society that they've inherited from generations past and say, how can we fix this disaster? The gospel is the answer. And you might say, well, sure. If you've been coming to church longer than six months, you're like, I know this. I get that we're supposed to share the gospel. I've heard this before. It's not the what do we do. That's the hard thing for Christians. It's the how do we do it that Christians struggle with. I had to ask myself that question. Um, I started asking myself that question about six months, eight months after being a Christian. And I was like, okay, I've had this, this amazing thing happen. God came inside of me and he saved me. And he's released this, this bondage that used to be in me. This hole that was, that was, that was inside of me, this emptiness is, is being filled. And I, and I actually am knowing God now and I'm seeing him move in my life. How do I tell people about this? And so I started to look for answers in the Bible and go figure who to believe that God actually lays out how to do it in the Bible. And and not just through other people, although he does through the apostles, but actually Jesus gives us firsthand instruction on how to share his message, the message of him. He actually does it with different people. And that's what I want to uh, take the next three weeks to look at. We're going to look at we're going to look at uh, Jesus's interaction with a poor social outcast. And then next week we're going to look at Jesus' interactions with a, a wealthy uh, a man who has all the wealth and all the power and all the pleasure that a society can offer. And then we're going to look at an upstanding religious man. And 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 I hope that you're interested in learning about how to share the gospel, because if if you're not interested. Like, if you're not interested, that's a problem. That's like a, a firefighter who's not interested in, in learning how to put out fires. That's like a nurse uh, who's not interested in, 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 in learning how to save people's lives. Like, it, it's counter to what a Christian is. And so I hope you'll stay tuned. I hope you'll pay close attention. I hope you'll make lots of notes and look at how God is laying out our instructions. Throughout these next three sermons, I'm just going to give you evangelism tips right from Jesus. And I hope you write them down. They're, they're, I'd like to say rules, but they're tips too because he's just doing it. It's by watching his life.
So get out your uh, pen and a piece of paper and get out your Bibles and turn to John chapter 4, verse 1, if you're not already there. We uh, start off, and and we've got a map to sort of show you where this is playing out. It says, verses 1 to 6, it says, When Jesus had learned that the Pharisees had heard he was making and baptizing more disciples than than John, Though Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went again to Galilee. He had to travel through Samaria, so he came to the town of Samaria called Sychar, which is near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. Okay, let's break that down. If you look at this map we've got, we've got a map of ancient Israel and from Jerusalem, which is in the uh the western uh corner, uh you have to travel through mountains in order to get to Galilee. And so uh so Jesus, if you can see, uh In chapter 2, he's in Jerusalem, and he leaves Jerusalem after he cleanses the temple, and he goes uh, down along the Jordan River, and you can uh, see that uh, line there, that red line on the map, and he meets up with John the Baptist, and they're baptizing people along the Jordan. I've been there to that spot to which they believe that they were, and and then it tells us, the scripture tells us that he's leaving, because the Pharisees have caught wind, and he's going to head up to Galilee, and Galilee is the, the large lake. Uh, the only large lake in Israel. And the route which everyone would take is to just skirt the Jordan River all the way to Galilee. It's simple. It's easy. Why is it simple and easy? Because it's flat. It's, it, you're not going up and down, up and down. It's cool, cooler because it's in the valley. Um, there's a water source when you're in the when you're in the Middle East. A water source is very important. Uh, if he had left from Jerusalem, he could have gone through the mountains. That was the other path, or he could have skirted the ocean. Uh, but he has come down. But the strange thing here, it says he had to travel through Samaria. Well, he didn't have to travel through Samaria. Actually, nobody would detour up the side of a mountain in order to get. To Galilee. No, this is not a like he had to because it was in his way and he had to go through it. Uh, this is like if I told you I'm going to go to Toronto, uh, but I had to go to Peterborough first before I went to Toronto. The easiest way from Gravenhurst to Toronto is just get on the 11 and go south through on the 400. But if I had to go to Peterborough first, you'd know that I had to go there for a specific reason. So Jesus is going up the side of a mountain, probably up a goat's goat herder path, with his disciples in the hot Middle Eastern summer for a specific reason. That's tip one. Evangelism tip one, if you want to share the gospel, you have to go to where the lost are. And that is exactly what Jesus is doing. In the 21st century, we kind of have this unbiblical model of how we share the gospel. It's like, I'll bring my friends, my, the lost friends, family members to church, and hopefully the pastor will preach the gospel message to them. That is totally divorced from what the Bible lays out how we share the gospel. Now, now you may want to bring your friends to complement your already sharing the gospel with them. You might want to bring your friends, your unsaved friends, so that they can see Christians and just understand and get more biblical teaching. But that's not the primary way 
that the gospel is to spread. It's not what we see in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 8, verse 21. Philip leaves Jerusalem and goes south towards Gaza in order to find an Ethiopian official. He goes. The Ethiopian doesn't come to him. To do what? Share the gospel. In Acts chapter ten, verse or chapter nine, verse ten, Ananias goes to a different part of the large city of Damascus, to a street called Straight, in order to find a specific person, Saul, who later becomes Paul, in order to share the gospel. In Acts chapter ten, Peter leaves Joppa, a town of Joppa, and travels all the way to the Roman city of Caesarea to find a Roman centurion named Cornelius in order to what have tea no in order to share the gospel the primary mechanism for sharing and spreading the gospel the good news of Jesus Christ uh, the the answer to all the problems out there in the community the answer to the problems that we see in the church the answer to the problems in our own heart is through the gospel and, and now you can use a bridge uh, meaning if you're into sports, sports can be a bridge unto which you share the gospel through. It's like this thing where you use to get around unbelievers and build relationships with them in order for you to share the gospel. Or, or say if you're, if you're into business, business is a bridge which you use to share the gospel with unbelievers. Or if, say, you're in, into knitting, maybe knitting is a bridge to which you use. Whatever it is. For me, it's, it's martial arts and fitness and firearms. That's, those are bridges to which I build relationships with non-believers to share the gospel because it's what God has asked me to do and I know it's the only answer for them. So he goes there. He leaves and goes there with a specific purpose. Our text tells us it's about noon and a woman, verse 7, of Samaria came to draw water. This woman is his target, and that may sound harsh. Target? Really? Like, what? Like he's hunting her? Uh, well, no, he's not hunting her to hurt her, but he is there specifically for her. He knew she would be there, and he knew she was the one he was going to share the gospel with. And you might say, well, she must be rich, or she must be influential. No, she is a three-strike loser. And that may sound harsh, but that's the truth. Three strikes. Strike one is she's a Samaritan. And, and the Samaritans were these people, they were what uh, the Jews would refer to as half-breeds. And, and how they became that way in the eyes of the Jews is when the Babylonians conquered uh, uh, Judea, uh, Israel in the 6th century B.C., uh, what they would do when they would conquer a nation is they would take most of the people and take them from the country as captives and spread them throughout their empire into other nations they had conquered and take the best to work uh, in their home uh, cities. That's why they took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, and Daniel and, and made them uh, leaders in Babylon. But what they would then do is they would take other people and they stuck them in Jerusalem, people who worshipped other gods, people from other cultures. And they intermixed with the remainder of the Jews that were there, and they became known as the Samaritans. And so they are hated by the Jews, and they hate the Jews back. Strike one. Strike two, she's a woman. 
and in Middle Eastern culture, uh, you don't talk to, if you're a male, you don't talk to a woman unless she's your wife, she's a member of your family, or she is with her husband. That is not something a good Jew would do, especially talking to a Samaritan woman. Strike two. Strike three, she is an outcast among outcasts. Why is she an outcast? Well, she's going to tell us in a little bit. How do we know she's an outcast? Well, it's noon. And noon in the Middle East is the last time, the period between like noon and uh, two o'clock, the hottest period of the day in the Middle East is the time when nobody except the outcasts goes to public venues. And the, the well was the public venue, meaning that's where everyone had to go and there would be a lot of talking, there would be a lot of visiting uh, as people filled each other's jugs and they brought the water because there's no running water back to the town. It was a couple kilometers outside of this town. It was a famous well. And, and, and also women would travel in groups uh, because it wasn't safe for a woman to just go out there on her own. She might be uh, raped or assaulted or, or mugged. And so she is traveling at noon, the hottest time of the day, alone. So we know she is a social outcast. And this is probably the last person anyone expected Jesus to intentionally go and find Yet, that is exactly who he goes to associate with. Which leads me to evangelism tip number two. Write this down. Sometimes you have to associate with undesirable people. You, not me as the pastor, you as a Christian, just as I do as a Christian, have to associate with undesirable people. But that's where our thinking is wrong. Because they may be undesirable to us for our specific reasons, but they're still valuable to God, equally as valuable to God as we are. And so to our uh, earthly, uh, carnal ways of thinking, they're undesirable. To society, they may be undesirable, but to God, they are desirable. That's where we have to ask God to change our hearts and change our minds. But there's a few things to keep in in mind when you are uh, entering into relationships with people who live drastically different lives than you. And one is this. You want to make sure you're always in the driver's seat of the relationship. And what I mean by that is you don't want to, sometimes people can uh, like take on a missionary relationship, uh, whether it be a friendship or, or a relationship, and they're like, I'm going to convert this person. But it's actually that person who is influencing you more. And so you've got to make sure you are steering the relationship and that you're in control. You're not being led down paths you don't want to go, but you are leading the person down positive past. Number two, you want to always try and keep it when you're dealing with uh, people uh, of the opposite gender who are around the same age range, men with men and women with women, right? If, as you're reaching out and you're, you're targeting as Jesus was people, okay, uh, as he's the son of God, so he, he does things a bit different. He was tempted in every way, but yet did not sin. But, but I don't want to be specifically going out to find women just around my age and befriending them, unless my wife is doing it along with me, uh, because that might become a stumbling block. No, my target is men, men. Now, now you, older women, that's a different sort of uh, category, but just like women don't want to be going out and targeting women, Um, other men their age you either want to be looking for people to share with your own gender or with a vast age difference or along with your spouse 
Number three, don't worry about what goody two-shoes friends or family might think about you. You've just got to let that go because as you associate with people that are undesirable, people are going to have a problem with that. People might judge you. People might make, make up rumors about you. You've just got to learn to let those things go. Verse 7, she responds. Uh, the, uh, this Samaritan woman responds with, give me a drink. Or sorry, cor- my correction. Jesus says, give me a drink to her because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. Tip number three. Start the relationship in the natural realm. In the natural realm. What is Jesus doing here? He is starting a conversation around the central point. The well. The water. And I remember it, it's, it's been a while for most of us when we actually had conversations with people face to face. Okay, but, but when we do, when we're actually interacting with people and building relationships with the people outside of the church and outside of our, our family groups is we want to just get to know them through the natural first. Don't go right to the spiritual or they'll just think we're one of those weird uh, Bible thumpers who just goes around and, and hits people with scripture that doesn't really care about them. And, and it's kind of awkward for us. I can kind of think if we put the the typical 21st century uh, Canadian at the well, what the interaction might be like, right? We're we're so void of actual human relationships. Now I can kind of imagine uh, if it was one of us sitting at the well and we saw this undesirable person coming, we might just bring out our cell phone and 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 kind of uh, look to the to the side and uh, pretend like we're 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 really busy on it or. or pick up the phone and just call someone or just start talking to the phone uh, because we don't want to be associated. We don't actually want to have a real conversation with this real human being uh, who, is, who is not desirable, but that's not, again, the way Jesus says to do it. We are to start relationships, start conversations with people and take an interest in their life and what's the central thing? I already said it before. It's the well. Why? Why is water on everyone's mind? Because it's hot. It's the Middle East. It's noon. He's just trekked up a mountain with his buddies. He's hot. It's noontime. She's just come from the town, probably a couple of kilometers, carrying jugs to fill with water. They're both thinking, we need a drink. And so Jesus interacts with her into the natural. And that's a good tip for us. How does she respond? How is it you, a Jew, ask for a drink for me, a Samaritan woman? She asked. For the Jews do not associate with Samaritans. There's a couple important things to notice uh, what's going on here and, and how just how Jesus interacts with her. Uh, one, it's that he doesn't step into the trap of arguing about how his people have acted. It's a big thing in our day, right? It's, it's a big thing. It's, I think it's been a big thing all through history. But it's especially a big thing r- right now, right? Is, is people are angry about the way other people have treated them or their family or their ancestors. And so people are kind of looking at everyone, okay, on all colors and, and all genders and races with suspect, right? 
And so as you're interacting with somebody and they find out you're a Christian, they might have had a bad experience with a Christian. And, and, and the trap is to start justifying and trying to answer for all the things that somebody else has done to them. But Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't step into the trap here. She is coming out of it. Why are you, a Jew, talking to me, a Samaritan woman? You don't associate with me. It doesn't phase him. He doesn't step into the trap. And I'd encourage you not to try and come up with answers and justifications for other people's bad behavior. Just look at the person as God sees them, as valuable and as worthy of your time. Next thing, Jesus doesn't get insulted by her response, right? It's, it's what we see going on in our society, right? It's, oh, you've done this to me or somebody, somebody from your group has done this to me and you're insulting me now? Fine, I'm gonna hit back. You know what you've done to me or you know why, why this happened, right? Don't get involved in that. Don't take offense to the person, right? If they lash out, stay calm as Jesus did. Remember, each person is damaged. Each person has some hurts and you can't take it personally. And Jesus doesn't. Number three, again, Jesus doesn't care what people think. He's not interested in if the Jews will come along because this was, this was a, a well-traveled path, okay? Like I said, if you're coming through the mountains through Jerusalem to Galilee, you take this route. Uh, and so Jews might be walking along, doesn't care. The disciples might come back at any moment, he doesn't care. The other Samaritans might be watching, he doesn't care, and we got to get this in our minds. We Canadians, right? We want everyone to approve of us. And, and, I'm, and I agree. The Bible is clear that we want to live in a manner that, that, that says, that represents Christ well, right? But now it's to the point where it's like, huh, if any sort of ministry or any sort of gospel sharing or any sort of being the church might possibly offend somebody, especially in the pandemic, well, we better just not do it because we don't want to take the chance that we will look bad to the community. But if we're real, like, let's look at the book of Acts. Like, let's look at Jesus' life. His very existence was an offense to people. Uh, the church existing in the book of Acts for the first 300 years was an offense to the people. That's why they hunted them. That's why they hated them. But yet the church kept doing what the church was doing. And here, Jesus could offend quite a few people, but he doesn't seem to care. And so the best that we can, we want to live in a way that, is, that demonstrates a good and builds good relationships, but sometimes we've got to do ministry work that's going to offend people that want nothing to do with Jesus Christ. Which leads to evangelism, tip number four. Look at this. She's taken back. Like, he doesn't fall for her, her trap. He doesn't get defensive. Uh, the fact that he is interested in her takes her back, and that's evangelism tip number four. Surprise the person with your interest in their life. The society out there, okay, has gone through a couple of generations, whereas it thinks the church is just this group that only cares about itself. Like Christians, they only kind of stay with their own. They don't really care. They might do some, give out some food or, 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 or give out some food cards, but, but like actually be interested in their life, that's not something that that society thinks we are interested in. 
And, and so she's taken back how it is you, a Jew, is interested in me. And, and the way that we can build relationships, and it doesn't take long, like it, it can take a couple of interactions to whereas you can build a relationship where people are like, I want to hear what you have to say because I see you're actually interested in my life. Therefore, I can, you can talk about the gospel. It's by doing just that. Jesus responds in verse 10. If you knew the gift of God and who is saying it to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Sir, the woman said, I, I don't even have a bucket and the well is deep. So where do I get this living water from? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Tip number five for sharing the gospel is you have to transition into deeper things. Okay, uh, for us as Christians, sometimes we're just like, oh, if I just be nice and just be interested in their life, eventually they'll ask me. Eventually there'll be an opportunity where they'll say, so what is with you? But in, interac- in Jesus' interactions with people, we have to see that he eventually transitions into the spiritual. He starts out the interaction in the natural, water, then he brings it into the spiritual, living water. Jesus always does this. Why does he always do this? And why do we really have to do it? Because unless we tell them the gospel, they're never going to know Paul says that in Romans chapter 10, verse 14. How then can we call on, how, how then can they call on him if they have not believed in him? And, and how can they believe in him without hearing him? And, and how can they hear without a preacher? And it's not just talking about a preacher, professional preacher. It's talking about a person to preach the gospel. And, and how can they preach unless they have been sent? How it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. So why then? Why do we have to build intentional relationships with people and transition into the deeper things, the spiritual things? Because it's the only way they will hear the gospel. It's the only way they will be saved. And it's our job. It's the great privilege that we have. It's not, a, it's not a task, but it's a privilege. And I've seen that as I've seen the lights come on in people's lives. And I've seen their lives changed by sharing with them personally the gospel. Not from a platform of preaching, but on a personal one-on-one level. I've seen it and it is so fulfilling. Verse 13. Jesus said, everyone who drinks of this water will get thirsty again. And he's pointing to the well. But everyone who drinks from the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. In fact, the water I give him will become a well of water springing up from him for eternal life. Nothing in this world, Christians, nothing in this world that it has to offer people will ever truly satisfy you or them. John reminds of this, uh, this, us of this in John, First John chapter two, verse seventeen. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, 
but from the world. The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God remains forever. All the things in the world are passing away, and nothing ever truly satisfies, like this this glass of water here, right? I drink it, and it's gone, and it keeps my aging body alive for a little bit more time, but then an hour later, I need to drink more, and it's gone. Everything in life, pleasures, Food, cars, money, wealth, power. Nobody's hardly ever satisfied with what they have. They're always seeking more. Why? Because it's not enough. It's never enough. Because it's earthly. It's not eternal. And the only things that will truly satisfy us are eternal things. And people need to hear that which is eternal and have that which is eternal come into them so it can spring up into eternal life. Well, that's, that's why the world seems to be falling apart. Uh, like a month ago, uh, the premier was talking about when he was, that's when they were trying to keep schools open. And then he, he talked about some information. He says that the kids' help uh, phone went from 1.9 million calls in 2019 to 4 million calls in 2020. McMaster Children's Hospital reported that uh, the number of youth admitted following suicide attempts had tripled during the pandemic and that those admitted for substance abuse uh, youth had doubled. Sick Kids reports that youth admitting to eating disorders has increased to unprecedented levels. Why? Government's giving out money left, right, and center. There's more entertainment now for youth than ever. There's more educational opportunities than ever in history, even over the internet. That's more than what generations past have had. What's missing? Why are they falling apart? Why why is the youth in the state it is? Because they need something eternal. Why are seniors so miserable and they're the richest, most prosperous generation in the history of the world? Because they need something eternal. People need it. Even if they don't know they need it, they need it. And we see she needs it. Verse 15, Sir, the woman said to him, Give me this water so that I won't have to get thirsty and come here to draw water. Jesus responds, Go, call your husband and come back here. I don't have a husband, she answered. You've answered correctly. I don't have a husband, Jesus said. For you've had five husbands, and the man you're with now is not your husband. What you've said is true. Tip number six, you have to be honest with people. You have to be honest with people about sin, about the state of their lives about heaven, about hell, about God's word. I was interacting with a young man He uh, today. He uh, comes here semi-regularly now uh, to seek help for food. He's in his 20s. He's got a young baby, lives with family. His life's a mess. 
And you know, we, we kind of, what we have a rule here is that, that we're not like uh, Salvation Army or the food bank where we just continuous gift cards. Uh, but we do, and then we, we tell people we want uh, to meet with you and talk to you about deeper things. And I was like, my heart broke for this guy. And I just told him, I won't say his name. I just told him, I'm going to be honest with you. I interact with lots of people um, who are trying to overcome addictions. And I give you this food card, and it'll help you for a day. But then the next week, you're going to need another one and another one. And what I really want to help you with is to get your life into a place where you're satisfied. And, and there's a God who wants to help you with that. And there are people here who want to help you with that. Because I want to see your life changed. I don't want to see you here 20 years from now in the same place. We've got to be honest with people sometimes. And again, that's not Canadian. But it's what Jesus does. You see how he brings her to the brink. He offers her living water. She says, I want it. And then he brings up that she has five husbands. He brings up her sin. He brings up her failures, really. Probably the most painful part of her life. She knows she's a failure. Everybody knows it. She's an outcast. What's this woman been looking for all of her life? To be loved. That's why she's going from man to man to man. You don't marry five people unless you're looking for one of them to fulfill your life. She knows that she's an outcast amongst her own people. And just, Jesus isn't just bringing up the shame uh, per se to make her feel bad. He's bringing it up so she can see her need for salvation. Somebody only sees their need for chemotherapy if they know and admit they have cancer, right? A person only sees their need for bankruptcy if they know that their finances are out of control, right? And a person can only see their their need for salvation to be saved if they know they need to be saved from something, i.e. sin, And it can be so hard for some people to see that, right? For some, it's easy. The consequences of sin are evident in their life. It's obvious to everyone else. I can remember interacting with this, this uh, man who was uh, part of a, a, a children's, uh, a, a group that my children were involved in, the place we came from uh, before this. And, and he was one of those guys who, like, people just avoided. His life was a disaster, Everybody knew the consequences of his sin, but he just couldn't see it. He could not see why nobody wanted to be his friend. He could not see why his own family didn't want to be around him. He could not see why, his, why, why he was alone. It was everybody else's fault. That's not her. Some people, you know, it's not as evident. They dress their sins up in fancy clothes. They look good on the outside, like the Pharisees. But on the inside, nevertheless, they're just as broken and as sinful as the drug addict or the drunk or the most undesirable person you can think of. Romans tells us that. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and all fall short, glory of, short of the glory of God. 
and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. That means everyone, like the doctor, the policeman, the distinguished pastor, the student, uh, the white person, the Asian person, uh, the heterosexual, the homosexual, all have sinned. All are on the same level. Hers is men. And Jesus brings it up to see if she can admit it. Because until you can look at your life and see the sin in your life, you don't want a new life. She doesn't want the living water that Jesus is offering unless she sees that she needs the living water. How does she respond? Verse 19. Sir, the woman replied, I see that you're a prophet. Isn't that refreshing? No denial, no excuses, no, oh, you don't know what those men treated me like. You know how hard my life was? Uh, oh, you're wrong, you're wrong. There's nothing, no denial. In fact, she, she admits it. I see you're a prophet. A prophet is somebody who has uh, understanding from God. She doesn't blame anyone. And, 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 and it's like we turn on the news nowadays or we go on social media and everyone is blaming everyone else for the problems of the world, right? The right blames the left, the left blames the right, every race is blaming every race, right? The denominations are blaming each other, like blame, blame, blame. And and I'm not saying that this woman has not suffered. Like, let's be honest, she's probably suffered more than most Canadians. Like the, the first century was particularly brutal for a divorced Samaritan woman. I'm not saying she hasn't suffered. And I'm not saying people aren't suffering. But she's taking ownership for her life, for her failures. And that's evangelism tip number seven. Look for ownership as you're looking to share the gospel with people. Like they need to know, you need to be honest. They need to know about sin. They need to know they're separated from God. They need to see the consequences of sin in their life, but then they have to take ownership of it. And until they do, how can they receive salvation? The good news. There's a, a man, he, he used to come here my first couple of years, uh, and, and he would ask me, I don't know if I'm, if I'm going to heaven. And, and, you know, I'd preach and, and every Sunday, and yet it just didn't seem to stick. And so when we'd talk, and, and, and I'd say, but you're saved by faith. You're saved by repenting of your sin. And, 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 and he said to me, he said to me, I haven't sinned. No, seriously, he said, because uh, I kind of went, what? He said, seriously, I, I can't think of a time when I've sinned in my life. And I went through the Ten Commandments. And he's like, nope, never done that. Nope, never done that. Nope, never lied. Nope, never stolen. And, and it was just like, and I said, you have to have. Or the Bible would say you're lying. And that right there turned him off. And he was so angry at me that I would say he had lied. But yet the Bible says we've all sinned. And so he had no assurance he was saved because he didn't know what he needed to be saved from. Verse 20. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews say 
that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. Tip number eight, look for a desire for them to know God. Like once they see the place, he's pointed out her sin, uh, he's offered her living water, and, and now she's like, well, well, our ancestors say the only way to know God and worship him is on this mountain, and I, I don't know how to do it. And, and you Jews say the only way to, to know God is by worshiping through the temple in Jerusalem, and, and I don't have access to that. I want to know God. It's a desire. She wants to know who God is. Just like when Philip's interacting with the, uh, with the Ethiopian. The Ethiopian's like hearing the good news. He's hearing about baptism. He's like, well, here's some water. Can I be baptized now? He's like, a desire. And you've got to look for that. You've got to look as you're explaining to them and, and as you're seeking God in wisdom, hopefully praying through that. It's like, oh yeah, there's a desire there. And then you move forward with the gospel, with, with the, the finished work of the gospel, the cross that Jesus died for them. Verse 21, Jesus told her, see it here, believe in me, woman. Believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we know because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. This is the last thing Jesus does. He now shares with her. Verse 24, God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Now a person is ready. Now she is willing to hear. All the masks are off. She knows he knows who she is. He knows, she knows that, that she knows she's a loser. And he doesn't care. He's like, God wants all the losers. And sorry to burst your bubble, but we're all losers when it comes to keeping the law. Myself especially. But God wants us who have lost at this life. The message of the gospel is that Jesus Christ, God, wants to take you, me, and transform our lives. He wants us to know him. That's the talk there, worship. He wants the spirit, the Holy Spirit, to live inside of us. And and the worship be through the truth of the spirit and the truth of the word. That is the offer to everyone. To the the, uh, men, to the women, uh, to the black people, to the white people, to the brown people, to the rich, to the poor, to the disgraced, to the upstanding, to the young, to the old. The message is the same. He wants to take your heart and make it his heart. He wants to set up his home inside of you. And I think about what he did in my life and in my heart And I'm still blown away. When I was writing this sermon, I literally still came to tears. When I was thinking about uh, uh, what this woman's life must have been like. At the end of this, she uh, 
as you, if you keep reading on, which we're not going to, she, she takes off and she, she goes running past the disciples and she goes into town and says, come and see the man who told me everything about my life. Her life was changed. She'd finally found what she was looking for. Someone who loved her. Someone who would accept her. Someone who would save her. And I found that. And hopefully you've found that. But there's a whole world of people who haven't heard the good news, who haven't been changed. And they're waiting for you to go to them. They're not coming to you. They're not coming to the church for you to passionately go to them. I know many of you are praying for your family members that God would send someone that would, that would befriend them, a Christian, and, and would lead them to the cross. Well, how about you be that person for somebody else who's praying the same thing? To echo or to, to adopt and change a line from the movie Gladiator, what we do or don't do in this life will echo into eternity. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you left us an example of you interacting with one of the the most undesirable people in that society. It's an example to us that we're to go and find those who are different from us, who wouldn't step foot in a church But yet, you love them, they are valuable, and you have told us to go and find them. Lord, I pray that each person who is listening would think of a a list of a couple of people. If they they don't have any interactions with any unsaved people, then they would go and find some. They would, you know, when when we're allowed again, join a club. They would do something where they can be around non-believers and interact with them, that they would take an intentional interest in their lives and build relationships and then have the courage to shift to the spiritual and to not take it as, as, as personal and maybe they'll be rejected. You certainly were rejected a number of times, but that they would share the good news. Lord, help us to do that, myself included for your glory, for the salvation and the joy of those who have yet to experience it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon audio. For more resources or to connect with us, visit calvarygravenhurst.com.